A lot of you are familiar with the DNA Project and have been rocking with us for a while, but some of you aren't. A lot of you are faithful listeners of the podcast, but aren't familiar with some of the other work that we do. So I just want to take a quick moment to explain to you a little bit more of what we do. So you're getting married, or you have a friend, a cousin, a sister, somebody you know is getting married. Okay. You've booked your venue, caterers, photographer, all that good stuff. When it comes to live music, most people have no idea where to look. We have you covered. Picture this. During the ceremony, while guests are being seated, or while the bride's walking down the aisle. During the cocktail hour, while guests are just mingling and having a good time. Don't forget about dinner music. That's very important to set the mood while guests eat. And we definitely can't forget the party. Let's get the party started right now with The DNA Project. www.thednaproject.ca for more information. And even what they're doing Mm. is technically illegal because there Uh is no place where you can go to license a song for a podcast unless the podcast lives exclusively on Spotify and they have a tool that allows you to weave music in and out. But you can only listen to that via Spotify. Now, the issue is that when you... Podcasts are downloadable. In other words, you're distributing the podcast. Yeah. True. When an artist signs with a record label, they have an exclusive deal with the record label for distribution. So if mm-hmm. you put their song in your podcast and you distribute it, you're in breach of their contract and you can be mm-hmm. uh, in big trouble for oh, it. Now, uh, yeah. somewhere about somewhere around 15 or 20% of all podcasts contain some kind of music, but because there is no mechanism for really clamping down on this or finding a way to monetize this on the on right. the part of labels and publishers and other rights holders, they're kind of turning a blind eye to it right now. My fear is that somewhere down the line, they're going to say, okay, we need more money and we're going to squeeze a lot of podcasters for, for doing this, uh, even though they spent, well, now decades ignoring the fact that they were leaving all this money on the table. The right. problem is though, and, and listen, I have spent an awful lot of time talking about this. Mm-hmm. and researching it and talking to people. And yeah. uh, it is so complicated. Any solution would be incredibly complicated. That would require It would require a worldwide comprehensive database of every song and every version <laughs> of every song right. ever released for it to work. And there is no such thing. How long before we get there? And are you going to uh, participate in making it? Well, I would certainly participate in using it. There's a couple of, right. there's a couple of things. Um, if you're making music right now, your songs are assigned something called an ISRC number, which is kind of like, if you look on the back of a book, you'll see something called an ISBN, which is mm-hmm. an identifier mm-hmm. of that book, that publisher, that edition, and so on. So yeah. an ISRC number is more or less the same sort of unique identifier. Um, the problem is that not everybody has bought into it, and it isn't comprehensive. There is a company out of Australia called Jaxta that is trying to create this massive database of songs with all the metadata properly intact. And maybe that will help one day. But, you know, you think about the fact that there are 75 million songs on any streaming music service. They all draw from the same library. 75 million songs. That's a lot of metadata. And it gets really complicated because it's really hard to standardize uh, what metadata should be. For example... Think about all the songs, especially in the world of hip-hop, who don't use conventional spellings and titles. Right. Yeah, so, good point. You know, uh, if, if a song is called I Love You, well, it's I space L-O-V space M-E. But what if somebody writes a song called I Heart Letter U? Yeah. 
You mm. see? So it's the same song, yep. but it's got two mm -hmm. titles, and it's using uh, characters that are non-compatible yeah, with, yeah. with, with metadata. You know, uh, I'll give you another example. Um, Coldplay wanted to release some songs with emojis in the title. And the streaming music mm, services yeah. said, get out of here. You're not going to do that. We, we, <laughs> because we can't track that. Right. Maybe those, AI can help in the future? AI possibly. looks at it and goes, hmm, okay, that's what they mean. Possibly, but the problem is that you can't copyright a song title. Uh, so, you know, how many songs are out there? And again, we'll come back to the, the, the example of I Love You. How many songs out there are called I Love You? By, written by how many people and in how many different countries and in how many different languages? Right. right. So point. if we have a song called I Love You, well, then we have a song called Je T'aime. So mm -hmm. <sighs> it is a huge... And, and Okay, so you release an album and right. in, in Canada. Each song, uh, that album has an ISRC number or, or metadata associated with it. Each right. track has metadata associated with it. If, that, mm -hmm. if a track becomes released as a single, that's another set of metadata. If it becomes remixed right. many times, it becomes... You need... Metadata for remastered each of those. Too, re yeah. If it if it's remastered, if it's reissued, all yeah. these require different numbers. So you see how things exponentially really pile up. It's yeah. not as simple as saying here's this song and it is credited to. Mm. Um, there are a number of organizations around the planet that are responsible for collecting performance fees for digital tracks. Right, and right. they have a huge all of them. Canada has something called the uh, CMRRA. Canadian Music Reproduction Rights Association, and they have this black box account that's filled with money that they've collected, but they can't attribute that money to any particular songs because of bad metadata. So what do they do with that that's money? Nuts. Just out of curiosity. Sit on it. Sit on it. And try, <laughs> you know, they, they've, got, they've got a department that's trying to find where this money should go. What, Sorry, a lot I was of just curious. Yeah, well, so what, slowly what's that money leaks, leaks out into paying the people who are looking it, who it to does. pay, and eventually it runs out. Yeah, but okay. Here's an example. Let's say go back to "I Love You." Yeah. Uh, oh, thanks. There's 50 songs. <laughs> there's 50 songs called. I'm just again pulling numbers out of my ass. 50 songs yeah. called "I Love You." Uh, the first song was written by Bob Dylan. Right. Okay. And mm -hmm. the last song is written by some guy in a basement in on Vancouver Island. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, without the proper metadata, a lot of these organizations will look at all these I love you's and see all the money coming in and then go, well, okay, if this much money came in for a song called I love you, well, it stands to reason that most people Bob were Dylan listening to the most popular song, which was the Bob Dylan right. song. So all yeah. that money goes to Bob Dylan rather than oh, maybe man. this kid yeah. on Vancouver Island who has some sort of viral hit. You see the problem? Yeah, Huge. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That is a big, big problem. Another wow. problem, speaking of problems, what was it like uh, in the radio world when you guys started getting wind of podcasts and technology and the internet? What was that transition like from a radio perspective? Uh, a good one. First of, all, first of all, a good question. First of all, the powers that be ignored it, ignored podcasting. Right. Yeah. Second, the powers that surprise, be started. Surprise. Well, surprise, surprise, because, I mean, it was a small thing. It was only yeah. for nerds. I mean, we're talking, you know, Late '90s, early 2000s, before we, you know, yeah. the the word podcast was was uh, really well known. Mm -hmm. um, let me back up a little bit. Sure. Whenever a legacy technology like radio yeah. is sees new technology coming up, the first thing is, well, are, are, is it serious? Do we have to worry about it? Right. Secondly, 
okay, it's serious. Should we fight back against it? Third, mm-hmm. okay, it's serious. Maybe we should find a way to participate. And mm-hmm. yeah, this is serious. We should find a way to try and co-opt it or at least coexist with it. Right. This, this began with, with, I remember 97, 98, working at the radio station. We would go to the management and say, hey, there's something called the internet. There's something called email. We should <laughs> yeah, have yeah, a website. Yeah. A website? What's that? Why would we yeah. want a website? We want people listening to the radio. We don't want them on their computers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And af- yeah. after a while, we ended up getting a website. It was like, oh, okay, well, this is a new way to to communicate. Wait a second. If website, doesn't that mean that you can have pictures and video with radio? Yes, it does. Oh, well, we should get into this. So the same sort of thing with, with podcasting. It was like, "Eh, you know, we don't want people listening to podcasts. We want them listening to radio. So, uh, and then after a while, it's like, you know what? We could actually use this to our benefit because Mm. what is podcasting, but on demand audio. And here would be a way to either repurpose audio that we would normally just broadcast out into space and never hear from again, or we could take that audio, package it up nicely, make it available to people all over the world. They can download it and listen on their own time. And then we'll come up with technology Mm. so that we can put commercials in these podcasts so that they're monetized. We're not losing money on them. We're actually turning it into some kind of... Uh, a, a new business model for us that works. Now, remember, radio has, has been around for over 100 years. It's very yeah. good at creating audio. But up until sure. podcasting came along, really, it was just stuff that uh, you, know, you broadcast into space and it was never heard from again. Yeah, this way, yeah, yeah. podcasting can be used to extend radio's reach. And it mm. can even go into areas where you can't uh, with over-the-air broadcast. So right. we finally embraced We, of course who's my biggest client, has a division called Curious Cast. They distribute the ongoing history of new music. And uh, revenues are just rocketing up because so many people are listening to podcasts. And my radio show is being heard by more people than ever before. I think I've got 12 million downloads, something like that. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. As a podcaster, you know that great content is only half the battle. The other half is finding the right hosting platform to reach your audience. That's where Captivate comes in. With unlimited podcasts, advanced analytics, and personalized support, Captivate has everything you need to grow your audience and monetize your show. Join the thousands of successful podcasters just like us who trust Captivate for their hosting needs. Visit dnaairwaves.com slash Captivate today to start your free trial. 